All right. Well, we are going to continue in our series um, titled Fathered by God. We spent the, the biggest chunk of the series just talking about different ways that he fathers us and how, how we can say yes to him, we can surrender to him, we can let him be our, our good, loving father, and we can walk with him. And so over the last handful of weeks, just two or three so far, we've, we've been talking about how there are just inevitable seasons of life that we find ourselves in and how, how easy it is, how, how prone, I, need, I guess I need to always say me, but I think I know enough of you to know we can all do this to a degree that in different seasons of life, the very thing that we need is him, but we can often withdraw or stay at a distance. And so whether it's valley seasons where things are hard and difficult and it feels like he's abandoned us, or seasons of life where we've, we've blown it and we've made mistakes and our tendency is to pull away from him instead of draw near to him for mercy and grace in our time of need, or whether it's a good season, life's great, and I just kind of forget it's God who brought me here, and I just coast. There's all these seasons we can be in, and so um, the last two weeks specifically, we've talked about being in a valley season, a hard season. Two weeks ago, we looked at, at being in the kind of, of season that is, it's not something we've done wrong to get there. It's no fault of our own. It's life circumstances. It's difficulty. And we just need God's help. And we need to be aware of his presence, that he's there to protect us. And so we, we looked at Psalm 23 and how the scripture describes his, his rod um, being there. And it's, it's both a rod that, that guards us and protects us from enemies that would come. But also, it's a rod that brings correction at time, that gets us back on track. And so last Sunday, we reflected on that, valleys that were really more just holes we dug for ourselves. When we've, we've made mistakes, we've blown it, and we're now living with the circumstances of our sin and our brokenness, that even in those seasons, God is right there. He loves us, he's for us, and he wants to redeem our lives. And so we talked about how we can cooperate with him last Sunday. And so... Now this morning, we're going to talk about being on the mountain, being on the mountaintop, being in a, in a season where just, man, there's life, there's joy, we recognize God's faithfulness, and, and how do we uh, communicate with God when life's good, when we're in a season like that? And so I've said this on the previous weeks, and I want to say it again this morning. Some of you guys, you might find yourself right here today. This might be right where you're at. And I pray it'll bring you some specific direction and encouragement right where you are. For others, I would just say that we go through these various seasons, and so um, let's recognize God's presence where we are and equip ourselves for the future, for future places we may find ourselves and know he will be faithful right then, right there in those moments as well. All right, well, we are going to spend, I mean, almost the entire morning in Psalm 30, in Psalm 30. Um, this is a Psalm of David. And so I, I want to do something, you know, typically, you know, we live in that, that society now, a day and age where we can't hardly be um, focused for more than 30 seconds on something. And so I'm just going to run the risk of saying, let's read this entire Psalm to start the service and just kind of let it get inside of us. And then we're just going to slowly go through verse by verse and unpack this together this morning. So Let's start by reading this. Um, it'll be up on the screen. You can follow along in your own Bible if you'd like. This is Psalm chapter 30. We're beginning in verse 1. 
This is a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Man, I just got to say amen right there. I'm grateful for that. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you that you rescue, you heal, you deliver, O God. Lord, we thank you that when we find ourselves on the firm footing of the mountaintop, that it is you and you alone who get credit for that. You place us there. You're the faithful, gracious God that lifts us. You lift us out of the miry clay. You lift us out of the valley. You bring us out of the, des the desert into good pasture, green pasture, still water. You restore our soul. God, we're grateful for that. Lord, would you speak to us today and remind us that you are our ever-present God. You are our Father who loves us as your sons and daughters. And God, help us to learn to hold your hand and walk with you every step, every moment of life. Open our eyes to be aware of your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're going we're gonna to move through this psalm. If you're a note taker, I don't have the traditional, you know, three points and we're off to lunch. Um, we've, got, we've got six points we're going to work our way through this morning. We'll, we'll spend shorter and longer amounts of time on each of them. Um, and we're just going to work our way through this psalm and, and take a look at what David is reflecting on. I, I want to remind you guys as we move into this, you know, this is the same David that's been in the valley. You know, two weeks ago, we talked about how Saul was seeking his life to, at no fault of his own to destroy his life multiple times. And he was in hiding and on the run and the threat of death was ever present. Um, and yet he never took matters into his own hand. He trusted God.
to be in charge and be in control, and he looked to the Lord for protection. This is also the same David who had blown it about as bad as you possibly can. He committed adultery and murder, and yet he had a repentant heart, godly sorrow that led to true repentance, and he watched God forgive and restore and redeem his life. And that, that same David is now in this reflective mode. There's, there's this sense of, God, you've, you've lifted me up. You've restored me. You've put me on the mountain. Thank you, God. He's reflecting back on ways he's been rescued. And so, so let's dive into this. So the first place we're going to start is point number one, remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. The psalm starts out just the first half of the first verse. Um, I promise I won't go this slow through the whole thing, but the first half of the first verse, a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. Now, this introduction can be a little bit confusing and misleading. Um, That particular phrase, a song at the dedication of the temple, that very easily could have been added in later, as this psalm was used as a psalm of reflection at different key moments. And so they put that tagline in to say, this is something that that we do at big dedication moments. It may very well be that David put it in right at the beginning. Um, So there are some possibilities of when this season could have been. All right, one possibility is that word temple there, it can also be translated house. It's the idea of a house, a tabernacle, a temple. All kind of the same word there. And so this very well could be David, and we'll see this as we get into verses 1 through 3 in just a moment. He's finally come out of some of these valley seasons, and his his kingdom has been established. He's moved into the house of the king. He's the king. And he's grateful for and reflecting on all God has brought him through and is dedicating this house to the Lord. And saying, God, look what you have done in my life. Look what you've brought me from. And I'm dedicating this house to you. Just your faithful in my personal life. It would be a way we could relate to it. A season where God has just shown up and, man, things things are good. You know, maybe you went through a move. Maybe you went through a a rocky season where you, you lost a job and you've come out on the other side and God's reestablished you and you're in a new spot and you're just saying, God, you've... You've realigned things. You've reestablished things. Thank you that you brought me from there to here. It can just be, you know, some of our mountaintop experiences are just life's good. Just the day-to-day of life, God's been faithful. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that he, he wrote this psalm when they were dedicating the future site of the temple. And so they, were, they, they had this actual moment in time where they dedicated this site and the tabernacle that had been mobile and had been moved around for years was, was set up there and put in place there. And they had a ceremony celebrating that. It could very well be that David was both celebrating, God, your tab- tabernacle is in the place where it's going to camp, where it's going to live. And we're celebrating that. The third possibility is simply that We know that David had a desire in his heart to be the builder of God's temple. He wanted to give God a permanent home, a permanent place. And God told him that wasn't going to be the case. It was going to be his son that was going to build the temple. 
And so it very well could be that David was reflecting on all of God's faithfulness in his life and looking ahead to a future day that would come that hadn't yet and said, God, I'm celebrating in advance the establishment of your temple. Those are all three very real possibilities. Well, whatever David's intention, that's what our mountaintops can look like. There's moments of just personal success, the circumstances of life are good, we feel settled, we feel at peace, our family's healthy, it just, life's good. You know those seasons where it's just, life is good. You wake up in the morning and it just seems like the sun is shining and the birds are chirping and just happy to be alive. It could be one of those moments. There's other times where it could be very spiritual in nature, like God has done something miraculous in your heart, in your life. He's brought you through some, some failure, some struggle, some hard thing, and, and you've recognized his unique presence, and, and he's redeemed you. Any of us who've, who've been saved, who've said yes to Jesus and been born again, that's one of those moments. God, you have spiritually intervened in my life, and you've set me free. Yay! man, that we don't lose sight of that precious moment of our salvation. Yay! And just that celebration of, of God, you've saved me. It, it could be, if you're anything like me, just moments since we've walked with him where we've had real failure and real struggle and we've blown it. And, and we're beginning, beginning to come out of the other side of that and we see that God's redeemed us and he's forgiven us and I feel that sense of his peace has been reestablished. I'm not running from him anymore. And I'm able just to say, God, thank you for your grace and your forgiveness and the newness of life that you've given me. Just kind of a spiritual victory or mountaintop. Could be a healing you've been believing for for a long time and God's healed your body. You're going, God, thank you. You miraculously and radically showed up in my life and healed me. Could be that kind of moment. Sometimes our mountaintop moment is one we're looking ahead to, where we choose to say, I kind of think maybe I'm in a valley, but God, I'm gonna choose to believe you for the mountain because I've seen your past faithfulness and I'm believing it's gonna continue. And so I'm looking ahead to the next peak. I'm looking ahead to the next place you're gonna take me. And God, maybe... I'll be like one of the saints of old that believed for that and never saw it in my lifetime. But I believe that the ultimate mountaintop you have for me is an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken, that my future is sure. And sometimes you gotta hold on to that mountain because it's really far away but he's good, he's faithful. So these are all potentials for how, how David may have been when he wrote this. Um, but man, I can relate to each of those. So what does David do? He, he begins by remembering where he came from. There's three specific ways that he recognizes God's faithfulness. And so picking up in the middle of verse one, it says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. God, you rescued me from my enemies. You rescued me out. You lifted me up. You drew me out. Thank you, God, for rescuing me. Verse 2, 
Oh, Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. God has, has shown up in personal hardship, in difficulty, in circumstances that were overwhelming. And he brought healing and restoration. And so David says, God, thank you for your healing touch in my life. God, I, I was stuck. I was hurting. I was in despair. And you loved me and touched my life and healed me. Thank you, God. And so he remembers personal healing from hardship. Verse 3. O oh Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. He's talking about his very soul being saved. He's talking about salvation, forgiveness of sin, new life, rescue from death, hell, and the grave. That's what he's talking about. And so, God, I thank you for the very salvation of my soul. God, I thank you for ways you've intervened in my life and rescued me from hard times, hard seasons, hardship. God, I thank you for times where you've intervened and you've, you've seen my enemy and you've lifted me up out of that. Can anybody relate to any of these? Thank God that he shows up in these ways in my life. What David's doing is, for those of us who were following along the last couple weeks, he's looking back at those events and saying, God, you've brought me through those. Thank you. I'm grateful. Man, the first thing we should do when we find ourselves on the mountaintop is stop and look down at that path that brought us up there and go, wow, God, look how far we've come. Look what you've done in my life. Maybe I'm looking at an actual path that I trotted, tread. Hmm, I don't know. Somebody with an English grammar background can correct me later. Trod? Trod? I trod this path. <laughs> we could maybe just go with hike. Maybe that'd be better. But like sometimes you can look back at that path and go, I don't know how I made it through that. And the way you got on that mountaintop was just steady, faithful walking with Jesus. And there, there wasn't some obvious miracle. The miracle was he just was right there with you, seeing you through it. And we get to the top and go, God, I remember. Thank you. Other times, we're on that mountaintop and go, God, how did I get here? Like yesterday, I was way down there in that hole, and you did some holy miracle and lifted me up and carried me and just dropped me off. Right here. Thank you. Thank you. We got to remember to stop and reflect on how we got there. And say, God, I extol you. I praise you. Thank you that you have put me in this place. I see your past faithfulness, and I'm grateful for it. And so number one, we remember where we came from. Number two. These, go, these all kind of go hand in hand, but number two, we express praise and thanksgiving. Not we feel it warmly in our heart, although it starts there. We express praise and thanksgiving. Verse four, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. Has David been talking about all of us in the first three verses? I can relate to it. 
But he's been sharing his own personal story, his own journey. He's reflecting on God's faithfulness in his life. And now he's inviting all of us into that and saying, look what God has done in my life. Let's praise him. Let's celebrate together. And so David chooses to sing praises to the Lord. And he invites all the saints in and says, let's give thanks to his holy name. David moves from personal reflection to corporate worship. Listen, true godly remembrance will lead to praise, worship, gratitude, and thanksgiving. Not talking about just some little moment of nostalgia and like, wasn't that sweet? God, I am so aware of how you have had your hand upon my life I got to talk about it. I got to verbalize it. I got to get it out. One of the reasons we gather in corporate worship is we got to remind each other of this stuff. I, I hope this happens to you, and I, and I hope we exchange these thoughts together. But when we're singing the songs that are up on this screen, I don't want to just sing about God's faithfulness in David's life. I want the faithfulness of God in David's life to remind me of his faithfulness in mine. And so when we stop and we remember and we verbalize it, we encourage one another through our corporate gratitude, thanksgiving, praise. Why is it important that we sing out, that we express praise? Is it because the worship leader expects it of us? No, absolutely not. We were made to worship our creator and we need to remind each other of his goodness. And so when we pause to remember his faithfulness in the, the past, it should lead to an expression of gratitude, of thanksgiving. God, this is what you've done in my life. See, part of how we remember is we share our experiences with each other. Have you ever noticed that? Like if you had a, a really meaningful or important moment, one of the ways that it sticks is you just kind of find yourself talking about it with other people. You share that moment, maybe some of the people that were there together, or you know, you're going about your week that next week and you're letting your friends and your neighbors and your family kind of in on this thing that God did. And as you're talking about it, you're not only encouraging all of them, you're sealing that thing in your heart. It's made it real and tangible and memorable because we chose to share it. And then when we remember together in worship, we remember that the victory is all of ours, all of ours. You know, we like to talk about the church being a body. That's biblical. We're all connected. We're one body. We're one family. What happens to one happens to another. Listen, we should, we should be very aware of the needs of the body when there's difficulty, when there's struggle, so we can encourage one another. Guys, we equally need to be aware of the victories and celebrate them. God, look at your faithfulness. Look what you've done. It energizes us. I mourn with those who mourn, and I rejoice with those who rejoice. Some of us in a valley need a glimmer of hope. I have actually experienced in my life holding back joy because I thought a few people around me were struggling in a hard season 
and I didn't want to make him feel bad. And I've come to realize that was wrong. I'm not rubbing their face in it. I'm shining a light and saying there's hope. There, there, there's a new day tomorrow. I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but hey, there's morning for a night, but, but joy comes in the morning. And we, we need those rays of hope and those rays of light to say, man, I was there and there and there. And man, in that one, I was stuck for a while. I don't think that qualifies as a season because it lasted for years. I was there. But I've watched God lift me out of that, redeem my life, restore my joy. And I have to give him praise. And I'm not rubbing it in your face. I'm saying there is hope for you yet. Because the God who's been faithful in my life is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will be faithful in yours. Now let's link arms and bear one another's burdens. And some of us who are in the valley need to learn to let ourselves rejoice with others who are rejoicing. It just might do something miraculous in our hearts. If I can say, hey, I'm celebrating with you. I'm celebrating with you. All right, we remember where we came from. Point two, we express praise and thanksgiving. Number three, we take a look at the big picture. Remind ourselves of the big picture. So it's not just specific moments we're grateful for. We, we look at the whole story, the whole narrative that God's telling. Verse five, for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. His anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Man, I had the hardest time after I left church last Sunday. Just there's, there's sometimes there's messages that you preach, and you just feel like the heaviness and weight of it. And we, we were having some real talk last Sunday. Like, God takes sin seriously because it kills, it destroys. But he doesn't shame us guilt us, condemn us, or reject us. He's honest with us about our sin and honest about, with us about our need for him so he can redeem our lives. And so we stopped and looked at the importance of confession and repentance and getting real and then turning to him, returning to him, and watching him restore. Well, listen, his anger is but for a moment. It's his favor, his grace that is for a lifetime. Even his anger is a reflection of his love and grace. That might confuse you or be hard to hear. But if you're a parent and can step back for a moment and consider the times when you're upset with one of your kids on their behalf, I, I want you to be free of that thing you're doing. It's harming you or it's harming your other sibling or whatever. Like there's moments where it's righteous anger that says, I, I want to lift you out of this trouble. Things are going to be so much better if you move to here. And so his anger, ours isn't always motivated by love. Sometimes it's motivated by frustration or annoyance or other things. But when he, he's angry, it's motivated by love to, to, to help us experience his grace and his favor for a lifetime. 
And so big picture reflection, remembering that. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. See, when we do the first two points, when I remember and I worship, then this moment becomes a part of a larger story of God's grace and redemption in my life and for all humanity. He's at work. And so David stops and he reflects on God's redemption. God, there were places where you were stepping in in judgment to to confront my sin, to deal with a problem. But God, it was because your grace was at work to redeem my life. And so I'm looking at the whole story. We need to think big picture. You know, one of the things I do when I get up on a mountain is I don't just get up there and then just start looking around and going, man, that's a cool rock right there. That tree's pretty neat. What's the reason you went up there in the first place? One of my favorite spots is Andrew's Bald. Has anybody ever hiked Andrew's Bald? You can also just cheat and drive up to Clingman's Dome and just do the little walk up the ramp and look. Has anybody done that one? Well, that same parking lot, you can do this little hike to Andrew's Bald. And it's just an awesome view. You just see the big picture. You see this expanse and the beauty of God's kingdom. Guys, there's, a, there's enough of life that's valley or desert or just trudging through the woods <laughs> trying to make our way. When we end up on the mountain, let's not take it for granted. Let's stop and go, oh, God, look what you're doing. Look at the big picture of your redemption. Thank you for this glimpse, this moment. And thank you that's a reminder of this huge story that you're telling. You are redeeming my life. Thank you. I see the big picture. I'm grateful for it. And so it's a moment to reflect on that. That's what gives us hope for the future when there's a season of weeping because I believe in the big picture story and the redemption of God's grace, that there is joy. And that joy is everlasting and eternal. That's the joy Jesus had that helped him face and endure the cross. He said it was for the joy that was set before him that he could endure the cross. Big picture, that's point three. Number four, It's interesting because the second half of this passage now can start to feel like a repeat of the first half. Did y'all notice that when we read it through the first time? It was like, hey, we got rescued. We're starting to do good. We're praising God. We're on the mountain. This is great. Wait, why are we back to like asking him for mercy and stuff? This This is so important to remember when you're on the mountaintop. Point four, beware. Prosperity leads to pride and it leads to complacency. Prosperity leads to pride and complacency. Beware. Verses six and seven. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. He's not talking about God's faithfulness there. He's saying, I got it. I've arrived. This is the spot I'm going to camp in for a while. Finally made it over the hump. I said I shall not be moved. Verse 7 is the reminder. It's by your favor, O Lord. You made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. 
You see what he's saying? I got on this mountaintop and I got settled into pride and complacency and thought I had it. And, and I lost the most important thing, the awareness that you brought me here. And even more than that awareness, God, I lost that sense of your presence right here with me. I just started doing it on my own now. Listen, when we end up on the mountaintop, we need to be willing to grapple with the fact that pride may creep in and complacency may creep in. I've got to remember that it's the Lord that caused me to stand on the mountaintop. Listen, this, this has been shown time and time again throughout human history. When we reach some level of success, we start to think we're really brilliant. And we did something to get ourselves there. We even start to look down on some people who aren't on the mountaintop. They're in the valley, and we think we tapped into some brilliant thing that got us here, and if they just figured that out, they could be up here too. Unfortunately, I've thought like that. Oh, I would never say that out loud. But it creeps in. It creeps in. Or even without that that intentional of thinking, I can just find myself in a spot where life's pretty good and all of a sudden I don't feel like I need my father anymore. I got this. I'm good. And I can just blink and realize, God, I've just been walking without you, resting upon old past experience and not experiencing the newness of you right here with me today. Not enjoying this mountain with you. Not grateful that we're here together. But just here kind of alone, on my own. Listen, the real problem when I'm on a mountaintop is not whether or not I can keep that moment. I can't. I can't. I need to remember and realize I didn't gain this mountain on my own and I can't keep it on my own. The real problem, this is, this is the issue with how we slip into pride and complacency right here. The real problem is the loss of the manifest presence of God. I'm going to say that again. The real problem, the thing I need to be most aware of when I'm on the mountaintop and life is good, is the loss of the manifest presence of God in my life. Here's what I mean by that. Is God everywhere all the time? Absolutely. He's always present. His manifest presence means I'm tangibly aware of it. He's, he's right here, right now, with me today. The way I end up finding myself dry is I forget that. The way I end up finding myself complacent is I forget that. The way I end up prideful is I forget that. God is right here, right now, with me. And I get to live in that sense of his awareness the real mountaintop experience is seeing Jesus. Like the ultimate mountaintop experience was Peter, James, and John up on that mountain with Jesus when he was transfigured before their very eyes, and they're just like, oh, that's what you really look like. <laughs> okay, you're not just this like dirty, sweaty, smelly, you know, carpenter who hangs out with fishermen. You're the king of kings and lord of lords whoa. And they caught a glimpse of the reality of who he was, and they didn't even know what to do about it. 
we just want to hang out here is really what they arrived at. They said, can we build some tents? We want to live here. We want to live here. Man, if that would be the thing that we seek when we find ourselves on the mountaintop. God, what I really want to hold on to is not everything just being perfect in this moment right now. What I really want to hold on to is you. You. Your presence is what's worth it. That way, whether I'm on the mountain or I'm in the valley, the thing that is sure is that your presence is still right here with me. Some of, the, some of the seasons in my life that I misunderstood the most were seasons when I thought I was on the mountain, but spiritually I was in the valley because my heart was far from him. Because I wasn't living in that sense of awareness that he's right here with me. Some of my lowest valleys, if I understood them accurately, were actually some pretty awesome victories because I recognized his presence and awareness and I was holding on and dependent and trusting and just saying, God, I need you right here, right now. And thank you that you are here and thank you that you are faithful and thank you that I can hold on to you. The real mountaintop is that his presence is with us. So beware, because prosperity can lead to pride and complacency. Instead, let's be aware of his manifest presence. God, thank you that you're right here. The good news is if we find ourselves complacent, if we discover some pride that exists, we can do what David immediately does. He immediately cries out for help. Number five, correct complacency by crying out for mercy. God, you're here. I need you. I'm sorry. I lost sight of that once again. And so, Lord, it's to you I cry, verse eight. And to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. What's happening is David is no longer reflecting on how God has been merciful to him in the past or how God has helped him in the past. He's saying, God, I need it right here, right now. I need your mercy today, in this moment. I need your help today, in this moment. That's the reality. We're always in need of his help and his mercy. And he's always present to bring it. Is that my beard? <laughs> Not me either. I don't know what that was. His mercy, it's new every day. It's available. And so be, because David has positioned himself to remember and reflect on God's faithfulness and he sees the big picture and God's made him aware, hey, even in this mountaintop moment, I've missed something. Right there in that moment, God comes with love and, and there is mercy for his complacency. Point number six, final point, verses 11 and 12. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The, the last thing that needs to be an anchor point for us when we're on the mountaintop is to go forward in gratitude. Go forward in gratitude. 
I practice it purposefully in the moment. God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for what you've done back there. But God, my posture, my life posture as I go forward is going to be a posture of gratitude and thanks forever. Because the valleys and the mountains, they are going to come and go through the course of this life. But he is good. He is faithful. He's ever-present. And so I can take on this eternal posture to say, God, I am grateful. I want to choose to live life with a sense of gratitude. You are worthy of it. You will be faithful to do it. And so, God, I'm going I'm to sing and not be silent. I'm going to declare your goodness. And I'm going to declare my gratitude for it. Amen? That's how we handle the mountaintop. All right. Yeah, I want to do this in closing. So there's this, this interesting little passage I, I want to wrap up with. I, I, th- I think it may give us just, it'll help us with the big picture part of this as we move forward. So there's this interesting moment. You know, I mentioned Peter being on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus gets glorified and the Father declares his son and they just get to see that moment. It's just this powerful, tangible thing that, they, that he experienced. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, he talks about it a little bit. And he's talking to people who are faithfully walking with the Lord. He's talking to people that are being taught the big picture. They're being encouraged to, to read and understand the very words of God in his scripture and see it come alive in their life. And so in the midst of encouraging them to hold on to the faithfulness of God and to hold on to the truth of his word, he's even going to go on to warn them about false representations of who God is, false teachers. In the midst of that, Peter points back to this moment in his life. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Guys, I'm not trying to sell you some kind of fairy tale story this morning. I'm talking about the reality of a God who loves us and intervenes in our lives on our behalf by his power, his love, his grace, his mercy. He shows up. And Peter says, we're not talking to you about some story. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty and faithfulness. Verse 17 For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, he's talking about that Mount Transfiguration experience, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. He says, man, we were there and we saw it. We saw Jesus show up right there in that moment, and we will never forget it. And because we remember that moment of his glory, we've held on to it. We've remembered it. It was significant. Because of that, verse 19, 
And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. God's words are confirmed. He's faithful to do what he said he's going to do. We have those words more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as what? As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You know why we got to remember the mountaintop? Because the days are dark, but there's a light that shines still. And we're called to hold out hope for the dawning of that day. And because we stop and reflect and we remember the goodness of God, where he shows up tangibly in our lives, we can then grab hold of the truth of his word that he will be faithful to do what he says he will do. I can hold on to the scripture. I don't have to try to read something into it or force something out of it. I can just take it for the purity of what he says and say, God, I'm taking you at your word and trusting you as a lamp to my feet, as a light to my path, even in dark times. And so, so he says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We have the word of God from real people who walked this earth and saw him move mightily on their behalf. And we don't have it as an old dead book to just reflect on and go, I hope that's true. We can now say, God, I believe and trust and expect you will do the same in my life. You will speak your words of truth and life into my life, into my situation. And I can hold on and trust you and follow you like a light in dark places. And so God, thank you for showing up. Thank you for lifting me up, rescuing me from my enemies, healing me forgiving me of my sin. God, thank you that even in my day-to-day life when I grow prideful and complacent, your mercy is there to redeem me. And God, more than anything, the real mountaintop is being in your presence. And I can have that in any moment and in any season because you are faithful. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us and you are ever-present with us. And yes, you're helping us grow into maturity and, and all of that. But Lord, I thank you that there isn't a moment in time where we're not called to just take you by the hand and keep walking with you. And so, Lord, would you help us to, to live this stuff out? God, to remember your past faithfulness, to worship and praise you for it to remember how we ended up right here where we are. Thank you for that. And God, I pray that we would have that big picture view that your daily, regular presence in our life, that the steadfastness of your word and the reality of your presence would sustain us in every season. Jesus, I thank you that you are the word made flesh. And you call us to abide in you as you abide in us. 
And so, Lord, thank you for a light that shines the way as we wait for the dawn that's coming. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. I I would encourage you, take real time this week. Reflect and then express some gratitude. Amen.